I like Thanksgiving because it makes us slow down. Uh, we were looking at Psalm 100, so I was looking at that kind of in my, my cell phone, uh, just appreciating the things that we have to be thankful for with the Lord. That's a good passage that you read this morning, right? Um, God is mighty good to us. We have an awful lot to be thankful for. So, take your Bibles and turn to Titus, in the New Testament. Um, we're back in, we're in chapter 3, beginning verse 9. We started last time. And in this passage, I may be squeezing a meaning into it that's probably not there, maybe, uh, because I'm, I'm looking at these the passages and trying to get through it. And I see in there, examples of things that take place in the church so we talk about that and the first one that we started and we will hopefully finish that up this morning is the idea of conflict in the church and particularly when you see conflict arise uh with people that create dissension and things like that that can't exist and so <coughs> it's going to run kind of dovetail with what my son talked about this morning and dealing with church and church discipline it's like we're getting uh, two uh, emphases in the same area because it's going to be pretty much what we look at this morning. But uh, I'm thinking that, uh, well, I'm not thinking, I'm recognizing that God is sovereign and sometimes He repeats, repeats things like that for necessary emphasis in our lives. Whatever. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time and then we'll look at the word. Father, thank you. I'm so thankful to you for your goodness of sitting there being confronted with these uh, reminders of things to pray for and sort of embarrassed stretching my brain as if it's hard to find something for which to be thankful for we have so much and everything we have we can talk about and, and it's just a, we're thankful that that uh, you have given us homes to live in you we'd be thankful that you've given us soap with which we can wash ourselves with and we can be thankful that you've given us glasses that we can see uh, and just own and own and own things that you have displayed your bounty and goodness to us and uh, so now we're sitting here looking at your word and it is uh, precious it is filled with your truth and your wisdom and your knowledge Help us to be receptive and uh, I pray that rather than just being repetitive these reminders will be things that will help us to grow <coughs> and, and to emulate our Savior. We were talking this morning about uh, counseling and judging people and uh, the word that we didn't use but that goes right along with that is the word neuthetic, neutheteo, which does talk about counseling but it does talk about counseling from the scriptures and it does talk about counseling from the scriptures with the intent of helping both the person who is counseling as well as the counseling the person who is learning uh, and that is that's uh, what you mean when you talk in Colossians about teaching and admonishing one another with the scriptures is that the intention is to help us grow I surely do need that Lord and I know we all do. So as we're looking at the subject this morning again, you, I pray that you would be exalted and lifted up and honored and that your 
word would be clear and your will for us would come to greater fruition that it would be more effectively fulfilled in me and in us um, i do so one of the things i put down this morning on those lists we were talking about things to be thankful for was your patience i'm so very thankful that you are a god of mercy and a god of grace and god of patience and i just pray that that we would not try your patience but that we would appreciate them appreciate it and cooperate with you in every way possible we have a desire to glorify the savior and to honor him and uh, i pray that we would do that you would enable us to be effective in it so bless this time i pray i ask it in my in my savior's name thanks to you we started out, I'm just going to read the first two verses, first three verses of Titus chapter three. If you have the uh, Bible's turn to it, it says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning being condemned we, we looked at that two words we were focusing on particularly was the word avoid in verse 9 and then the word reject in verse 10 both of those have the idea of turning away from and being careful about things uh, in our midst we are aware and we talked about it last time that there is a warfare going on a battle going on um, I don't know that I've ever lived in a time in which there is greater pressure uh, in society and bombarding us around us. The pressure uh, having to do with the political situation, which is monumental. If you're serious about your country, you see people that are deliberately trying to destroy the kingdom in our nation, as well as pressures come. Uh, clearly from the hand of the Lord in the sense of this virus, which is not something that we could generate. If we've had people die from it, uh, that's very obvious. I mean, we know God is sovereign, but we can see this very clearly that this virus is something that is, it's easy to, to diagnose that. This is from the Lord and it has interrupted our society in, in awesome, awesome ways and just changed things in such a drastic way. I mean, who would have ever thought that professional football games would be canceled? And who would ever, ever thought that restaurants and colleges and schools would be disbanded and that they would be meeting uh, in their classrooms and meeting over a computer? I mean, you can see it's just disrupted so many things and so much. And it still is. It's having an effect. Now, they told me, uh, pardon me for sneezing. <coughs> they told me it worked. The other day, one of the ladies said, have you had your card? And I said, yeah. She said, well, you, you got your card. You can bring it and show them, and then you don't have to wear, it, wear a mask anymore at work. Well, I'm, I, I, uh, that's one of the things that has is, is bothered me, because I get to the place where I'm working, it's hard to breathe, and so I've taken it off. But when I take it off, I know that there's a sense in which I'm in disobedience with the government, because they say wear it. And so there's a sense in which we want to be obedient, and yet at the same time, we want to breathe. Pardon me for holding my nose, I can kind of sneeze and not sneeze at the same time. Anyway, 
whatever. Uh, these are difficult times, the times that try uh, men's souls, so to speak. And uh, there are times in which the church, I think, has a great opportunity to speak out, not just to the issues, which is what has taken place with Grace Church and John MacArthur. They have spoken to the issue very clearly, and they have become known around the world because of this. And they're pretty, and we don't see them much in the news, but they, there is a lot of, there's a lot of, of communication about them and a lot of people. They have, they have, their membership has skyrocketed because a lot of people that were there have not come because of the virus and everybody else in the other churches that are not meeting have come in and so they are just really busting at the seams there. But that's a good thing because God's word is going out. Anyway, these are interesting times. And so as we're looking at this verse there and we see that the first, the first admonition of avoiding or standing around or shunning, uh, avoid foolish or dull or stupid or people who don't have wisdom avoid these kind of controversies, these debates, these things that come from people that have no purpose. They, they do not display biblical wisdom or biblical knowledge. They are just arguments that are waiting to happen, so to speak. The people want to bring things like that up and to debate them or whatever. The, the, the text there says to shun this thing, shut keep away from this kind of stuff because it can take place in the church. We can, we can talk about that and we probably will further on because uh, I think Paul tells Timothy that these things, these controversies that arise can create division in the church. And that they create a problem in the church with people and uh, they, it can get carried away. And I can remember, I honestly don't know where it took place, but I remember hearing about it where there was a debate between two believers, one about the sovereignty and the free will of man, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. You know that there is, there's always, you can always, you can take up either side of that argument. And it's this argument that we are not going to be able to effectively reconcile in our own wisdom. We just have to take God's word, what it says, and believe him and know that he's telling the truth. But they were discussing it. And uh, as I understand the story, one, they were at a potluck and they were eating and one of them said to the other, they said, do you believe that you are elect? to eat that piece of chicken on your plate with a piece of drumstick. And he said, yes, I do. And he grabbed it real quick off his plate, started eating like that. He said, no, it's not. Said, I'm going to eat it or whatever. And that created an argument and uh, a hardship that kind of lasted for quite a while. It got kind of divisive. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? It really is. And you don't want to get involved in that kind of thing, those kind of arguments, those kind of debates that create division and stuff like that. And we just we can be right for those that that uh, that kind of thing. We can get all torqued out of shape. I remember I was just telling Erica earlier we were coming. I think I told you the other day we were, I was bringing Ann back, and we were at a stoplight. There was a truck up there, and the truck light turned green, and the truck sat there. And I said, the "Light's green," and the truck sat there. And I "Light's green again. You can go anytime." And he, he sat there till the light turned red, and we had to sit through the whole series again. And all she said was patience. And that was not, not the best thing to say because I'm upset at that guy. Like, um, but then the next time it turned green, he went on. Very clear. But the point is, is that um, we, can, we can get upset at nothing. I mean, just plain nothing like that. And um, so um, the, 
we have to be careful. And we look at the church and look at the things in the church. We're talk, talking about uh, controversies, foolish controversies, the idea there and the way that terminology is, is uh, according to Weiss, is that it was used in the Greeks to indicate a kind of philosophical inquiry. It's an exchange of words, debating back and forth without the purpose of actually making a biblical truth or a statement that is really helpful. It's just kind of a debate. You heard of debates like that where they talk about how many, one I heard was how many angels can dance on the head of a pen or something, something stupid that has no, no logic whatsoever. It's just a waste of hot air and uh, so on and so forth. But we, we, we are to be careful about those things. The Bible talks about, Paul tells Timothy to refuse foolish and, and uh, stupid or ignorant and uninstructed speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And uh, the Lord's mindset was not to be quarrel, but quarrelsome, but to be kind, being able to teach. So we wanted to deal with the truth. We wanted to deal with it. And when you think about it, we are so blessed that God has given us his truth. And we can understand it, and we can read it, and we can read it anytime. And the problem is that we, we, I guess the big problem is that we don't read it enough. And when we do read it, at least it is with me, frequently my mind will be distracted about something else. And I will read it, and then after I read it and gone further on down the page, I'll think, what did I just read? And I'll go back up and read it, and it's almost like I'm reading for the first time. Because while I'm reading the words, and I may even be reading them out loud, but my mind will be thinking about something else. And uh, God's word deserves our full attention. It really does. And uh, we, we need to take it seriously, and we need to allow it to influence our decision-making process, that it impact us. Um, the scripture talks about renewing the mind. That means that the mind, um, we talked this morning about getting stale or being dead, dead being sort of say good word, um, not, not able to come to a good conclusion, just kind of not able to make a decision. God's word can renew that and give us new strength and new it's like taking the spiritual prevagen they advertise on the TV for your brain and stuff like that. It's, it really helps to renew your mind, renew your heart, put new light. That's the idea of renew, put new light in your mind, in your heart. And so you go to the Word, and God's Word does that. It helps with that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sedative, if you will. It's a vitamin to help with that. He goes on talking about genealogists, which we talked about before. And not only genealogists of having to do with the ancestry of people that are rabbis and other things, but there is some connection there also with Gnosticism and the eons of series of emanations and stuff like that. He's just saying these things are distractions from the truth, from God's word. We have the truth, and so we need to take it seriously uh, and to be avoiding empty words uh, and empty chatter and stuff like that. It leads to further ungodliness. And, this uh, error will spread like gangrene, Paul tells Timothy. So that's the first half of the verse, and we kind of looked at that last time. Second half of the verse uh, talks about not just avoiding, but rejecting. Sorry to keep blowing my nose, but whatever. Rejecting 
And, uh, the, and, I, and both of these, by the way, both the avoiding and the, the idea of rejecting are present imperatives, which means that you are doing to do this every time the situation arises, every time the occasion arises, this is to be a habit in your life to avoid these things and to reject these things. And he's giving these things to Titus, who is to be appointing leaders in the church. So these are things that should control the leadership in the church and decision-making process in the church to be doing that and avoiding that. And then this passage here, he talks about uh, rejecting um, or declining or shunning or refusing to have something to do uh, with factious uh, and that that's uh, that idea of factious carries the idea of profane unhallowed uh, no not uh, of, of division of create things that create division and uh, create uh, factions in the church divisions and and uh, break it breakups and, and to create divisive division in the church that's what the idea of talking about rejecting a factious the factious man after the first and second warning and if we're going to, i'm going to come back to that but he's basically saying have nothing to do with uh we says to refuse or decline or avoid uh the factious man the man who is causing the vision you get the word schismatic or schism from that and uh, those that create the schisms in the church uh, avoid that keep away from that because that's that's that is uh, not profitable, it's not helpful, it's not good. Paul tells Timothy to have nothing to do, and he's using the same word there, have nothing to do with worldly fables, which are fit for old women. And that may sound kind of critical, but that there are fables and the intention of <coughs> gossip and the worldly fables that are not sound. And he's just saying, telling Timothy to refuse those things, to reject those things. Um, then another passage which gets a little bit close to the home is in Second Timothy. Uh, first one was First Timothy four seven. Second Timothy two twenty three talks about refusing foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Again, here is this idea of making a judgment call of refusing these kind of things, these uh, ignorant speculations. The word word the foolishness or foolish. And Paul's letter comes from the Greek word moros, from which we get the word moron. And uh, he's saying um, to refuse uh, these moronic um, arguments, uh, these things that have no, they are specifically, um, the meaning has to do with a, a, a low morality that would be used by a a worthless person is a strong term and he says just refuse that moronic that stuff that's uh, immoral that's perverse um he also uses the word ignorant there foolish and ignorant speculations which um i guess would describe an argument without purpose there's no direction for this there's no intention to helping anybody it's used by the Greeks, as I mentioned, uh, that word was used in the previous passage for philosophical arguments and stuff like that. So they're not there to help, they're just there for arguments. So you say Paul is telling Timothy, as well as in our passage in Titus, to refuse these foolish 
and ignorant speculations, these arguments that don't produce anything except quarrels and arguments and debates. And uh, this is this is a uh, this is important. So Paul is is telling Titus and Timothy both to refuse to have nothing to do with these things, which is a word to us. That's why I'm going over it because it's a word to me that we can get involved in stuff like that. And so it just it's 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 foolishness, and we kind of let that go. I don't think that we are on the, the verge of something like that per se, but we can be. We, we are susceptible to these kinds of debates and these kind of arguments. And so we get back to our verse to reject factitious or factious man after the first and second warning. I want to spend a little bit of time with that because I think um, that that warning is a good warning. By the way, I forgot to tell you, uh, we talking about factious, it says it, it has to do with being capable of choosing, uh, of, of being associated with or causing division, a person who places his self-will and his self-opinions above the truth, even using refusing to consider other people's views and opinions. He says that about the idea of factious, the factious man. He's wanting to get his idea and his opinion, and his uh, thoughts on the table even though there, it's not backed up with scripture or whatever, you just want to get that out there. And that, that's kind of, we all like to talk, don't we? We all like to get our opinions. Uh, talk radio is very popular because of that very reason. People like to give, spout off their opinions over the air and get their opinions. And they think that, they, that their opinion is the final opinion. And I guess we all do that in one sense. But there's sometimes, and I was, uh, uh, I think it's the Proverbs talks about that, that it says just to be still and know that God is in charge, know that God is the Lord. Be still and let God be God. And uh, the, the passage, and I don't remember now where it is, but I read it to the men uh, one morning, Christian businessman's connection, when we had him meeting at Dennis before Dennis was. And we had um, this one guy that was a visitor, he always, every conversation, he would just dominate with. Okay, so I read that verse, and basically the verse says you don't have to give your opinion because you do, you've expressed yourself as a fool. Be still and just let God's word speak, basically, the summary of it. Those are words of wisdom, and I <coughs> read those words, and it had an effect on him. He really did quiet down, and it just it, uh, it gave everybody a chance to think about what the scripture was saying, and it just it, it's important. It just happened to be one of the few times that I read a verse in context that helped, and that, that was a good that was a good verse at that time. And that's what this this is saying here. He's saying uh, reject a factious man after the first and second warning. Um, I think that's interesting that he uses. And you can take your Bible and turn over Matthew for just a minute. Um, Matthew eighteen. If you know. The New Testament, you know where I'm going with this. This is the passage that deals with what we call or refer to as church discipline. It's a very serious text, and it's a passage that just reminds us to be serious about um, dealing with, with sin in the fellowship. In our verse here in the text, it says, reject the factious man after the first and second warning. What is that? What is he saying there without the first and second warning? Well, in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, 16, um, 
I am there in their midst. And what it sounds like and what's been interpreted so often is that where two or three believers together together, you got a prayer meeting and doesn't have enough to have God in the midst of the prayer meeting. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the witnesses that you take when you're confronting somebody with sin. And when you're confronting somebody with a clear sin, and this is, I, I want to be clear on that. This is not something that's, you know, your opinion and my opinion. This is a very clear violation of God's word. When you're doing that, uh, you are acting on behalf of heaven. And heaven is working with you. And not only is heaven working with you in that person's life, but also with you in your life. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you want to talk about to a brother about a, a, a splinter in his eye, deal with the, the beam in your eye first. It's because those things, when you're talking to somebody else, become graphic in your life as well. And you really examine yourself. And, and uh, many times, what you might plan to say to somebody, once you examine yourself, it may slow you down and make you really look at your own life first. And that's a good thing. It's helpful to do that. It's not helpful to tolerate sin, but it is helpful to examine it in your own life and do that. And that's what Jesus says. And so these two or three witnesses here that he's talking about, when you come to somebody, uh, if it's a clear violation of God's word and they won't listen, you complain it and you bring it and, and all the way to the, to the full church discipline. Then he says that heaven is acting with you on that, and you want two or three witnesses when you come together like that. Now, back to our text here, then he says, uh, You come to somebody that's a creating visions like that, and uh, is just deliberately pushing false teaching and false things and pushing it. Uh, maybe he was raised in a Mormon church or whatever, and is coming these things out. Uh, once you do that, you can. It's, it's not that you just go, but that you're slow to go. You go once, and then you might go again. And you might go a third time, but you're going to have to confront him. You're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to get out in the open because you can't compromise God's word, God's truth. Does that does that make sense? So that's what he's saying here in this passage, uh, dealing with that. Um, and then he goes on to say, knowing. Uh, perceiving that such a man is perverted and is sinning, uh, being self-condemned, and I'm going to stop there. Let me just talk about that for just a moment. The word there, uh, the two words that you can use in the Greek to speak of knowing something, this is the beginning of verse 11, knowing that such a man is perverted. And this word here, knowing, does not mean that you have learned that by this particular person, but rather it means that you know what you know from the Bible, you know from the doctrine, this is something you know uh, theologically, uh, you know, I guess you could say uh, by instinct, there are two, two ways of looking at this kind of thing. And one of them means that you can know something objectively and the other one means you can know it experientially. This is knowing objective. This is not, this is objectively knowing this because you know what the Bible says about knowledge, what it says about people needing uh, things that are not true. And so he says here in this passage, he says, you're, you're going to this person after this person's second morning, knowing that this kind of person is, uh, the, the term that perverted carries the idea of being turned inside out. Uh, it's, it's a change that is, this person is, is um, you, you know, objectively this person is, is, uh, is to change from the inside out. Metaphorically, it means to change for the worse, accused to subvert somebody, to pervert the truth. 
and you know that that's what's happening, and so you want to confront that. You want to stop that. You see what I'm saying? And that's just important to see that. And so uh, this passage here, he's saying, you know that such a person is perverted, is sinning. The word sinning there, we know what it means. It means missing the mark, but it, it especially carries the idea of missing the mark of God's standard, of God's character, of God's purpose, of his plan. You know that, you can see that. And so it's a, it's a, a obvious thing. Then finally, uh, he says there's self-condemned. The word self-condemned, um, it, it means they condemn themselves with their their insistence on disobeying, being disobedient, being perverted. Uh, it means they're they're condemning themselves with all kinds, not, not just some words, but they're they are they're condemning themselves by their persistent arguments, by their perversion of truth, by their willingness to cause debates or divisions. Uh, just to foster their own opinions, by their willingness to abandon the truth, by their immoral stands, by their uh, arguments, by their dissensions, by their lifestyle, their drunkenness, or their carousing, anything like this, what they're doing that displays that they're creating divisions in the church, and they need to be confronted. These people are condemned uh, by their own decisions, this is the quote now, their actions, meaning they are passing sentence upon themselves by their own actions, by renouncing their faith, they are rendering themselves incapable of receiving the privileges and the blessings to which they would be entitled to. Uh, in reality, they are actually judging and declaring themselves unworthy of the blessings entered by the church. So let me just say here, it is a privilege to be involved in a body of people that love the Savior, that are serious about the Savior. Uh, it is a privilege to be accountable in a body like this, that uh, we know each other, we love each other. We do kind of around, like we were talking about David or Rachel, we joke around with it. But we do that because we love the brothers, we tease each other, we're part of the accepted group. I know that you are winking now, David. But we do that, but we want to be serious about the Lord and about our stand on the scriptures and stuff like that. We want to confront when we see it, uh, and I don't know that we've seen it, anything recent like that, maybe it's because it's small, but when you see that, you want to confront it and deal with it because you love the truth and because you love the body, because you love the Savior, because we're in a battle of warfare. That's what we're talking about, conflict in the church. It's really going on. It really takes place. And uh, so we want, to, we want to, we want our hands uh, to be clean so that we can serve the Savior and with clean hands and pure hearts so we can serve the Savior. And if people come to our Bible studies out here, uh, we want the lives of the people to show. And that's the case. That's what it will, that's, that's what will speak. It's not just how we preach, but it's how we live. That the life is, is the sermon that's the most powerful sermon of all, is the life. It speaks, you heard it said that what you, are speak so loudly I can't hear what you're saying and that's true so uh, we want to be a lighthouse we want to, to um, take these words that Paul has given to Titus and recognize that the responsibility of all of us particular leadership is to deal with the, this dissension and this division which can cause a problem and uh, we want to deal with that um, before it becomes an issue and deal and not just deal with it 
don't want you to, we're not just dealing with it like we are an inspector, a fruit inspector, going around and making sure everybody, but if things surface, that they become obvious. A lot of times, sin in my life has surfaced many times, but I have dealt with it before it becomes, before it becomes an issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? You deal with these things privately. And uh, that's the way it should be, that you, you, you want to keep up. I think it was Bruce Walker, Walker said that repentance is the maintenance of the Christian life. And you want to keep a short account with the Lord. Uh, and because we all sin and we all make mistakes, and I do, and I'm the worst one. And I try, I try to be transparent with you. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I try to be transparent because I'm a sinner just like you are. And we, are, we do, do need God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And we need it every single day. But we want to recognize also that sometimes it comes into the church and uh, it, it uh, becomes a detour and it becomes destructive in the church. And I've had um, churches. The one that comes to mind uh, is Howard and Ethel told us about a church split they went through. And Ethel was really kind of bitter about that. And she, she said, she said publicly, here's this church, you may not remember it, but she said publicly, she said, that's one of the worst things I've ever been through in my life. Being in a church with people that you know and love and having dividing themselves and getting on two sides of an argument and the, splitting the church right down the middle. And uh, if if sin is dealt with early, like that caught and nipped in the bud, you can stop a lot of that stuff. And it's really important. So let me close in prayer. Father, we do thank you um, for your word. And I just have to say again that I am not beyond sinning. We are not beyond sinning. And we are not sitting up here and taking out a, a, a list of membership and checking them off and being sure everybody's doing everything just right. We're not that. Uh, the judgment, the excommunication, if you will, or whatever you want, church discipline, is very important in the church. It gives uh, power to the message, probably more so than almost anything else when you have to do it. But it isn't fun, and we're not happy about it, but we do know that you are serious about sin, and not only sin in other people's lives, but in our lives as well. Help us to cooperate with you. Help us to take it seriously. And uh, help us to be obedient from the heart to you because you love us. And we're in a battle. We really know that. We can see it in our day and time, probably more than any of the time. And it's glaring on the TV. And uh, we're, we have a lot of people around us that, that are, are hurting in a way. I don't like to use that word hurting, but that are struggling to find purpose and some meaning in life where there seems to be nothing but chaos and, and uh, it is, it's almost like living in a non-real world, yet it's actually going on around us today. So give us wisdom and help us to be effective with these things, I pray. And thank you so much as we were talking earlier about your mercy and about your grace and about your goodness. Thank you for being our God and putting up with us and helping us to become more what the Savior wants us to be. And I ask you to do that work in my life. Uh, do spare no expense. Pull out all the stops. Make us people of God that it shows in our lives as well as in our mouth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.